My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. If you aren't sure what humanism is, but you believe humans can solve human problems, or that social justice isn't just a buzzword, then the Glass City Humanist is for you. Will you join me? In this episode, I go through the process my humanist group took to create a new tagline to help market the group to the public. When some groups are dropping the word humanism from their name, Scholey rejected that direction. Then I talk about the new election laws being passed around the country as a result of the massive turnout in the 2020 election, and how these laws aren't reform, but just Jim Crow laws in another form. Glass City Humanist is an outreach project of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow. If you live in the greater Toledo, Ohio area and are looking for a humanist community, then please check us out. You can reach our group at humanistswle.org or from a link on the podcast website, glasscityhumanist.show. One of the jobs that I have as president of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie is that I coordinate advertising and marketing along with programming and everything else that I do. But uh, that's one of the things that I have to do is promote the group. Uh, You would think, well, I should say uh, somebody that I know from years ago actually suggested that you didn't need to do any promotion of a humanist group. All you needed to do was to build it and then they would come. Um, And he had kind of an anti-marketing type uh, demeanor. And so we clashed on that quite a bit. Um, I believe that you have to promote, you have to advertise, you have to take every opportunity to promote your group if you want to build it, if you want to increase membership. Because when you get increased membership and you get committed members, then your donations go up. When your donations go up, you're able to do more activities, activities that actually cost money to set up. That brings in more people. You bring in more people, you bring in more donations, membership dues, etc., etc. So in order to make money, you have to spend money on marketing and promotions. And so one of the things that that I uh, did uh, during the, had, that I have done during the pandemic, during the time that we were locked down, is that we had our board review what we call our tagline. Now, our main group name is Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and then we have a tagline. We haven't really used it that much in promotions. So our old, uh, our old tagline that we had for many years, is I cribbed it from the Columbus group, was guided by reason, inspired by compassion, and informed by experience. And if you look at it, I mean, it's from the AHA Manifesto 3. So it's pretty generic. It really doesn't say what the group is. 
doesn't say what we do. It says what we are, that we're guided by reason, inspired by compassion, informed by experience. But we still have people that say, well, what is humanism? You know, what do you do? What is your purpose? And so I had this, uh, what led me to doing uh, the tagline, redoing the tagline, is I had a had a webinar with the great uh, James Croft, uh, who is the senior leader of the Ethical Society of St. Louis. Uh, nice guy, great guy, glad I know him. He got a lot of great ideas, even if we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, some things, <laughs> uh, uh, foundational-wise, some you know, structural-wise. Uh, he's still good, you know, he still has some good ideas. And he was... and. So this was this webinar about how to get more people to come to your meetings and such. And he was talking about that they had done a rebranding of the Ethical Society of St. Louis. And they spent money to redo their their um, name. or not. They didn't rename themselves completely. They just kind of reworded it so it was a little bit peppier, a little bit quicker. And they did a new logo and... and uh, and one of the things that he mentioned was that because people have such a hard time knowing what humanism is, that if it was him, and he might correct me on this, but he said if it was him, he would not use the word humanism in the group name. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> um, one of the points when I formed this group uh, in 2018 was I wanted humanism in the name because even if the other people don't know what it is, if regular people or uh, people who aren't cognizant of what humanism is, the people that are would then be able to quickly identify us and know who we are. Um, and I can't think of any other terminology for humanist that I could that we could use anyway. You know, we'd have to, I don't know, the secular gadflies of Toledo or something like that. It just wouldn't make any sense. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to rebrand completely. I didn't want to drop humanism from the name. So I decided to use some of the tips or some of the information he was talking about to for the tagline the, the secondary thing that we that we had not been using that I'd like to see us use more so as i said our old one the one we had from day 1 was guided by reason inspired by compassion informed by experience so i went to the board i said let's get some ideas and here's some of the ideas that we can't that the board came up with um, it was humans living a compassionate ethical life then we had the old tagline. Then we had living a compassionate and ethical life, uh, building a human, human community through compassion, reason, and meaningful change, building community through compassion, reason, and meaningful change, reasoning for a better tomorrow, reasoning compassion for all, becoming more humane through compassion and reason, and then finally the one I knew wasn't going to make the cut, goodness gracious. And those are just some of the ideas that, that we kind of boiled everything down to uh, when we were talking about it. And in the end, 
we kind of mashed two of those choices together to get our current one. And our current tagline, the one that the group agreed, the board agreed to, was building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow. And that, that is, and I like it because it's an action. It's, it tells you what we are doing, how we are doing it, and why we are doing it. So I want to kind of break it down. I want to spend a little bit of time here and, and break it down. So the first thing is we are building community. That is our main purpose. Our main existence is to build a community. Um, we're not, and, it, and it's a community uh, virtually, uh, metaphorically, however you want to, how do you, however you want to define it. We aren't building a commune. Uh, we're not going to be living together with clothing optional or anything like that. Uh, when we're talking about building community, we're talking about, uh, you know, building, having a collective, getting together with like-minded people in a collective way. Um, you know, it's like a bowling team, being a bowling team, a, ba a softball team. Um, you know, churches use it too. They have, you know, that's one thing that they have. You know, they have a building and people meet at this building and that's their community. So that's what our main purpose is, building, building community. Now, one of the things was building a human community and I thought that if we use that with our name, it would be redundant. Um, human is inferred, uh, just generally. So that's why I kind of, when, when we went through, we edited it, we dropped that. So it was building community. Next thing is, you know, how we're doing it. We're doing it through compassion and reason. And that leads to a whole host of things that we cover in the group um, uh, when we meet and when we have meetings and and our uh, events and uh, the books we read or suggest, the movies we suggest, it all goes back to compassion and reason. Uh, compassion means that, you know, we have sympathy or, or not sympathy. We're empathetic about other people, other people's plight, um, our family, our town, our city, our country, our state, uh, no matter who they are, where they are, whatever their socioeconomic status is, we care about people. The reason part comes into is we don't solve problems. We don't operate on thoughts and prayers or the supernatural, like believing in a Bible or an afterlife. That has nothing to do with us. We stick with reason, which is the scientific method, evidence, uh, data, um, and things like that. So we, we use the scientific method and data and, and we combine that with compassion to help people. So we do it, so we help people without religion. And then the, finally, 
our goal is a better tomorrow. Um, one of the primary things about humanists is that we believe we only have this one life and it is our job to make it the best that we can. And so we have to make a better tomorrow. Um, that's why we have to get involved with social justice issues so that people that come after us don't have to deal with some of the things that people today have to deal with where it comes to discrimination and civil rights issues and poverty. Um, we have to build a better tomorrow by taking care of the climate today. We have to get involved with climate change and try to fix it or try to mitigate it so that the climate is better tomorrow. Um, politics. We have to get involved with politics, at least on an individual level, to make these other changes. Um, and so that's what we want to do. We want to do that. We want to build community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow. That is our main purpose. That says everything that needs to be said about our group. And so I'm very happy with that, that new tagline. So I'm working on trying to come up with some ways of using that. Um, I'm designing a bumper sticker. And hopefully I'll be able to get that to some of our members that wish to have bumper stickers. And there's ways that you can do bumper stickers if you really don't want to do them. You can put them on magnetic backs. So you can always take them off your car if you need to take them, take it off. Like if you're going into an area that isn't real friendly uh, to uh, non-religious people. Um, I'm probably going to do some uh, online media that people can save to their, to their uh, like Facebook pages or Twitter pages, that sort of thing. And uh, we'll do that. But yeah, I just wanted to talk about that. Um, and I wanted to also kind of circle back to um, you know, the idea that, you know, because people don't know what humanism is, we should just drop the term and how I, I, I just really disagree with that position. I really do. Um, you know, it's all, we already have a problem in the general humanist movement of some people trying to, uh, copy, uh, religious people. And just, they're just, it, it comes across as they're trying to hide their non-belief by dressing things up in religious dressing, uh, disguise, religious disguise. It's like, and, and I, I say this time and time again, I shouldn't have to have a service on a Sunday and sing hymns. That's what they do in church. Just because I'm a humanist. I shouldn't have to do that. Now, some people, they think that that's what they have to do, is that they've just been so indoctrinated over the years to be religious that they think that it, it, it's not the same or it's not good if you're not meeting on Sunday singing hymns and that, that sort of thing. And, and I, just, I just think that that's wrong. Um, I just don't believe in it. I, I think that we need to have our own things. We need to have our own uh, ceremonies, 
we do. There's secular ceremonies for a lot of things that religious people do. Um, there's a lot of uh, um, milestone um, things that people do that doesn't require any kind of religious overview or religious symbols. Um, you don't have to, and it's just like you don't have to meet on a Sunday. You don't have to sing hymns. You don't have to pass the collection plate, even though we need donations. <laughs> you know, you don't meet on Sunday to pass a collection plate. That's what religious people do. That's how they went to court and got the public health orders overturned uh, during this pandemic was because they needed to collect stuff in a collection plate. And so I, I just really blanch at doing anything that even seems remotely connected to being religious. That's the main thing about this this tag is that it, it, it doesn't. It's not tied to religion at all. It doesn't even hint at religion. But it does say, you know, what we're doing, how we're doing it, and the result that we're looking for. And so that's what we're doing. We're building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow. For further information on the topics mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes on the website at glasscityhumanist.show. I wanted to take the opportunity uh, in this episode to talk about recent um, laws, election laws, that are being passed around the country. I think uh, somebody noted there was over 300 election laws being considered in the states around the country, all as a result or even before the massive turnout that we saw in the 2020 election. Now, I believe that voting is a primary civil right uh, in, the, in this country. It's, it's in the Constitution. Uh, there are several different um, Bill of Rights and, and uh, parts of the Constitution that specifically talk about voting. And I think if you're voting in a federal election... If you're voting for uh, president, Congress, um, that sort of thing, I really believe that the federal government should have a standard practice for those elections, and it should apply to all the states everywhere. People that oppose that view, they call it a states' rights issue. They say it's not specifically mentioned in the Constitution, so it should fall under the 10th, which means any power not given to Congress goes to the states. I'm saying that it's in the Constitution, mentioned several times. It's not just a state's issue. The states handle the elections, but I think the rules and regulations for those elections should come from the federal government. Either, either there be an, like an election uh, panel like there's the Federal Election Commission, they could do it. Um, it would probably have to be a law passed in Congress. But uh, basically, there are a lot of these laws that are violating people's constitutional rights. And unfortunately, these people have to file lawsuits. It has to go to court, which is a long time process. 
And so the people that are opposed to people voting, they seem to win a lot more. Um, I was looking at uh, uh, some statistics for Ohio, and even though the Republican Party in Ohio only achieved 47% of the vote in the last uh, governor, uh, I think it was the 2018 election, 47% of the vote. I'll have a link up in the show notes to what I'm talking about specifically. But basically what happened is they get they got 47% of the total vote. But they want but they took 12 of the 16 congressional seats, which is over 50%. That and that is due to gerrymandering. That is due to some of the oppressive election rules and laws that dominate the state. And so recently, within the last few weeks, Georgia decided to, quote, reform, unquote, their election law. And basically, the, it disproportionately affects minority communities in Georgia. Uh, one of the things was that they severely restricted Sunday voting, knowing that a majority of African Americans go to the polls through their church on a Sunday. They all get on a bus and they go to the early voting center and vote. Another travesty in Georgia and in other areas too is they close polling locations. Now they claim, the state claims that they're doing it to save money and to secure the vote. But what they're really doing is they're trying to limit uh, the number of people who vote because they naturally assume that if you get to a polling location and it's a two-hour wait, which some of them are, an hour to two hours, that you're not going to stick around and you're not going to vote. Consequently, people that want to avoid that decide that they want to do uh, absentee voting. Well, they've made that more difficult, where you specifically have to request an absentee ballot. And, there, and you also have to go through the same kind of ID procedure that you do to vote on the same day. And then you're thinking, well, I'll just avoid that too. Well, not to mention the fact that the previous presidential administration pretty much tried to wreck the postal system uh, because of the election. And... Uh, so people don't trust the, the mail for the absentee ballots, or at least they didn't in 2020. They trusted them less. But then you think, well, I'll just drop this off at a, at a drop box. Well, the new Georgia law uh, restricts the number of, of drop boxes allowed. The time that they're available, they have to be inside uh, in, in an election facility. And... So when all these things were coming up, all these restrictions were coming up, uh, President Biden made a, a, a comment that it was Jim Crow law, again, returning. And some conservative Republicans, um, and I would have to say a majority of these were white men, old white men, uh, got upset because they don't like being called racist. Um, and my feeling is if you don't want to be called a racist, don't do racist things. That's my feeling. Anyway, 
so they complained and they said that uh, Biden was lying about Jim Crow. Well, if you do any kind of research on this topic and you check out the history of Jim Crow, you see a lot of similarities, okay? Um, so now this information I'm going to read to you is from the Wikipedia entry. Um, I know some people are like, well, that's not uh, valid or it's wrong. There's plenty. You can go to um, the entry. I'll put a link up in the show notes. They have uh, a bibliography and with links. So you can check out the original material. But I just, I just didn't want to have to reinvent the wheel. So one of the things that during the Jim Crow era, um, which was after, after Reconstruction ended, when uh, Southern white Democrats, at this time it was Democrats who were the racists, they gained control of the states again. And they instituted laws to disenfranchise African-Americans specifically. Uh, a lot of these laws also overshot and got uh, poor, illiterate white people. But again, what they did was they made exceptions for illiterate white people that they didn't make for African-Americans. So I just wanted to read this one small section, kind of give you the context. In the Jim Crow context, the presidential election of 1912 was steeply slanted against the interests of African-Americans. Most black people still lived in the South, where they had been effectively disenfranchised, so they could not vote at all. While poll taxes and literacy requirements banned many poor or illiterate Americans from voting, these stipulations frequently had loopholes that exempted European Americans from meeting the requirements. In Oklahoma, for instance, anyone qualified to vote before 1866 or related to someone qualified to vote before 1866 was exempted from the literacy requirement but the only persons who had the franchise before that year were white or European-American males. European-Americans were effectively exempted from the literacy testing, whereas black Americans were effectively singled out by the law. So when President Biden talks about Jim, the return of Jim Crow law, what he's specifically referring to are laws that are worded in such a way to seem vague but affect a particular group specifically. And that was African-Americans. And that's what this new election law in Georgia does. Um, so, you know, the conservatives in, in, the, in Georgia and elsewhere are saying that, that uh, Biden is lying about it, and he's not. Uh, he's just applying an old term to current world application. And it's very interesting if you check out the, the, the history about the Jim Crow, you see a lot of stuff that they tried back then uh, happening, seems to be happening again. Uh, for example, I believe that requiring photo IDs, not only is that not as secure as people think it is, I also believe it's a poll tax, a, a subtle poll tax. Because in many states, you can't get a free ID. Some states you can, but
but you still have to take time. Uh, my economics teacher called it opportunity, uh, opportunity costs. So there might not be any uh, figurative cost to it, like you're paying out money, but you have to take time to go do it. You have to have the pay proper paperwork. Uh, you might have to take off work. Some people can't afford to take off work, especially if you have to go uh, 20, 30 miles to, uh, usually it's a driver's you know, bureau motor vehicle location to get an ID. And maybe you don't have transportation or maybe you can't afford to take off work because you work until after the uh, place closes and you can't get it. And it kind of reminds me, um, I had a job as a customer service rep for a pharmacy benefit manager. And if, you, if you're familiar with benefit managers, what they do is they are trying to save an employer money on health care by regulating the use of the health insurance. And they do that through a, a, a bunch of uh, rules and regulations. And they're very strict. In most cases, at least when I was working, they were very strict. And if you attempted to use your benefits and you did not follow the specific rules, your uh, benefits were denied. And uh, people would get very upset. So let's say you had, you had to get a medication and you had to get a prior authorization. And you got the medication but didn't get the authorization. And you wouldn't get reimbursed for that. Or if you go to pick it up at a pharmacy and it was $400 because insurance wouldn't pay for it, people would call and they would say, you are keeping me from my medication. And we would have to explain to them that we are not keeping them from the medication. That the only thing that we were doing is we weren't going to pay for the medication. And you see how that's a slippery slope. Because your rules and regulations are, in fact, keeping somebody from their medication because the cost is so great that they can't afford it. So even though technically you aren't taking the medication out of their hands, you are keeping and preventing them from having it. And that's how these election laws work. They're not saying, well, you're African-American, you can't vote. What they're doing is they're making the laws and rules and regulations so, so onerous that a person can't follow them. And if they can't follow them, they can't vote. And so you're not technically keeping them from voting, but the, the outcome of your rules and regulations are keeping them from voting. And so that's how one part, how systemic racism works, is it's not specifically somebody being racist toward, towards someone, it's that they're creating an environment to where it's, somebody is disproportionately affected by some policy or rules or regulations. And I really think that that's wrong, especially for something that is uh, seriously a, a part of a basic civil right, and that's voting. Standing in line for a significant amount of time to vote is not patriotic. It is not democratic. It is not American. And my idea of supporting democracy is making it easier to vote, not harder. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. 
For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistwle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.